What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ preview for UFC 284. I am Jason Foy, of course, momentarily joined by my guy, Pete Rogers Jr. We're here to break down UFC 284 from the DFS perspective, betting perspective, fight breakdowns. Got any questions? Line those up in the chat right now as we're going to be here for the next hour or so. We'll see how long it takes to get through this entire fight card. But of course, as always, I am joined by the fighter, Pete Rogers Jr. Good afternoon, Pete. Uh, are, are we staying a little warm there? It looks like you got a little bit of a, a warm jacket on there. <laughs> Trying to, man. It's been some crazy, crazy weather up here. It's actually not too bad now. But, uh, you know, last week was insane with negative temperatures and wind chill, like minus 20, minus 30, something stupid like that. Um, right now it's actually warming up. So I'm, I'm hoping that winter is in the rear view and we can start moving on to spring weather. Um, we know that you're loving the Florida weather down there and you brag way too often about it. But uh, yeah, man, I'm just enjoying it. Um, unfortunately, not going to be able to watch this fight card, but we have a, we have a banger. UFC 284, Islam Mahachev, Alexander Volkanovsky. Cannot wait to break it down, talk, discuss, see where we differ on some of these fights, and uh, can't wait to see some of these lines that we can expose. Yeah, I think uh, last week in Discord, you noted how cold it was in Connecticut, and I yep. thought about saying what it was here in Tampa. I said, nah, let me, let me, I'm not going to be an a-hole today. I'm, I'm going to be a nice Jason. I'm not going to be an a-hole to Pete. Rare. What a rarity. Um, but yeah, I, I will tell you that... Uh, it was, it was quite cold, and, you know, trust me, man, I wish I was down there rooted in Florida, but for some reason my parents wanted to to stay in New England, so that that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah, you know, here in Florida, I mean, you know, give me, I mean, we'll see. It's a definitely not a winter day here in Florida, definitely not a winter <laughs> day, but, of course, you know, we're going to break this one down for you, of course, so if you do us a favor, if you're not subscribed to the channel, hit that subscribe, hit that notification bell so you know when we are live here on the channel, of course, you hit that thumbs up that does help us out a ton. If you're watching this after the fact and you have a comment about something me or Pete have said, leave it in comments. We will answer all your comments there in the comment section below. We appreciate everyone checking out Fight HQ. And of course, uh, if you're uh, not in order to score, totally free to join. All you got to do is go in there. Great conversation we have with the team. Also, we do have a DraftKings contest up right now. It is a, a single entry, $10. And we said, you know what? We're going to do winner take off for this one. So, uh, you can click that link right there in the YouTube description below. We'll also put that if you're listening to us on the podcasting platforms after the fact, we'll have that in the show notes as well. And of course, uh, also if you want to show your support for the show, our friends over at Stochastic have an offer for our listeners. If you take advantage of that offer they have there in the YouTube description below, that helps myself and, and Pete out over here. And uh, I will tell you, you know, so Pete, when I started doing my deep dive kind of into the salaries, and the first thing I looked at was the main event. I was like, damn, I had not looked at the betting odds prior to, you know, to seeing the salaries. And so when I saw that six, seven hundred for Volk, I was like, holy cow, this fight is much closer than Volk being a three to one betting underdog. Yeah, I mean, I believe so. Um, I think that there's going to be significant grappling and wrestling advantage for Islam Mahachev. And, you know, it doesn't take a genius to really to state that. Um and I do think that Alexander Volkanovsky does a fantastic job of getting back to his feet. So what that can do for us DFS players is, is it can actually balloon the output of Islam Mahachev when you have a guy who's so well at getting back to his feet in Alexander Volkanovsky. I do think that the upper body wrestling is what Islam Mahachev is going to just be extremely superior in. He's going to dominate the clinch. Um, Volkanovsky has been taken down in the past and he gets his underhook great. 
He really butt scoots to the cage. He posts up on an arm. He frames and he gets back to his feet. But what I think that can do is it can actually bring Islam Mahachev's takedown numbers to next level. Like I really think that we can approach um, rare territory for for some of these fighters. And you know I, I don't think that he's even touched on his ceiling as far as takedown numbers. The highest amount of takedowns he's actually landed in the UFC are five takedowns against Nick Lentz, who's a phenomenal grappler in his own right. So. Um, you know, you look back and you see against Armin Sarukian, he went four of nine, uh, three of six against Tiago Moises. I really feel feel like we could see like, no lie, 10 takedowns unless one takedown is enough. And then he's able to just work his way towards a finish. I don't think that it's going to be as easy as most people think. Like, I think he's going to ragdoll him if it, you know, gets into the clinch. But I don't necessarily know if a, a finish happens as early as most people think. I think it could be just a wrestling clinic. Uh, winning in decisive manner, some 10-8 rounds and all of that. So uh, with all that being said, though, Alexander, Alexander Volkanovsky at 6,700, if he can survive, if he can make this a stand-up battle, if all this jiu-jitsu work with Craig Jones can pay off and he can really just stay out of the stay out of harm's way, out of dangerous situations, perhaps target some leg locks, I don't think that's going to be the strategy, but it could be like a Hail Mary attempt. Um, but at 6,700, man, you could do enough even in a loss to make it into an optimal lineup. So I'm gonna I'm not going to ignore Alexander Volkanovsky at all, but Islam Mahachev is going to be a, a fighter that I circle and I'm gonna prioritize because of the five rounds. Yeah, I mean I was thinking from from my perspective, I was like thinking as like, you know, cash game line of things along those like even on the FanDuel side of the equation at thirteen dollars, you get great value. I mean, uh, more times than not when we're talking about the FanDuel side of the equation in terms of daily fantasy. There usually you don't get value in terms of a main event fighter. I mean, usually, you know, in, in Islam, by the way, $23, no surprise there. You know, you would expect that maybe he'd be in that $16, $17, $18 range. So there is value over there on 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 the FanDuel side of the equation, you know, you know, look, I think that, you know, and I know one of the questions we got on Discord is kind of talking about, you know, FanDuel and their MVPs. If you think this thing is going to go five rounds and you tr- believe that Islam Mahachev is going to say, you know what, I know I'm the superior grappler and I'm just going to grapple the hell out of this dude, you could look at Islam over there. Obviously, you know, the, the with the scoring system over DraftKings, he's much more valuable if this thing is a 25-minute fight, you know, I, I think overall, I think I'll be under the field, you know, looking at, at the you know ownership projections that we're seeing there on Islam Mahachev. I don't think I want to get that high on Islam Mahachev. And, but that, to me, is more about a roster construction more than anything else. Like, look, I think Islam's going to win this fight. My only fear is, and he's made some comments about going up there and wanting to stand up with Alexander Volkanovsky. Look, if you tell me this thing is a stand-up matchup, Oh God, this has got Alexander Volkanovsky's, you know, you know, but I do think overall, as I've taken in a lot of MMA content this week, I do feel like people are kind of, I mean, look, we all know Mahachevit, how talented he is as a fighter. And, you know, Javier Mendez made this comment earlier this week. I don't know if you, you caught this comment. I'll actually play it here. So I played on my show earlier this week about, uh, his comment about Islam Mahachev. You know, the thing about Islam Mahachev is he's well-rounded. He's the most well-rounded lightweight champion of all time. That's the beauty about having someone like Islam. We can fight any way we want. It's a pleasure to have that where you can actually go out there and make a change right as you're walking out to the cage. That's what Habib and I did on, on one of our fights in Las Vegas. So that's how good Islam Mahachev is. We can actually change plans at a turn of a dime. No problem. 
couple of interesting things I thought he said there. A, calling Islam the most well-rounded UFC lightweight champion of time. I started going down that rabbit hole. He may not be wrong, Pete. He may not be wrong. But the other thing he talked about is how having the ability to change the game plan on a moment's notice. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that he's one of the most well-rounded, if I'm being honest. Um, I think that he's he's developing for sure. Um, he has the wrestling dominance that Habib Nurmagomedov has. His striking is more technical than Habib Nurmagomedov when he was when he was reigning champ. And I, I do think that he is better on the feet. Um, he has more variety of attacks as well. Like we've seen him throw knees. We've seen him throw kicks. I think that that could make for some trouble for Alexander Volkanovsky in the clinch. Um, just you know, kind of leading with his head a lot into some of these shots, a knee up the middle, dipping his head off to the side to a head kick. I don't really think it's going to be much of a striking match. If it is, that's where I do think that Alexander Volkanovsky right down the middle you know, in between the wide shots of Islam Mahachev, you could see him landing a straight right hand. Um, we, we did see a fighter in Adriana Martini, uh, Martins hop on Islam Mahachev early, land a big, big shot, and get a TKO finish. But I do think that was prior to the development of Islam Mahachev. Um, with all that being said, I, I'm actually going to be looking at this ownership of Alexander Volkanovsky. It's really damn high. Like, it's really damn high. And I, I you don't think it's that high? I'm not. You know, what I was going to say is I'm not surprised at what it's being projected at right now. I think that's kind of where I expected it to be. It, yeah. And now, look, maybe if let's just say his salary was seventy four hundred, seventy five hundred. Yeah. I don't know if the number is that high. I I agree with you, but I mean, like, there's still a decent amount of fights on this card. So thirteen fights. It could be a situation where you know large portion of the field is kind of you know punting with alexander volkanovsky and if he just gets absolutely ragdolled for for 25 minutes then that could be a large portion of the field that's completely dead in the water because of a 6700 fighter the other flip side to that is that this does touch the later rounds it does you know maintain a stand-up affair for a decent amount and you have a fighter get 40 what do we need in a loss and for this situation i'd probably say 45 points minimum, mm-hmm. 45 points minimum. And, you know, if he's on his back, that's a lot of control time for Islam Mahachev. Um, I, I do think he's going to have some reversals. I don't know. I, I'm going to get to Volkanovsky for sure. Me as a fan, I want Volkanovsky to knock out Islam Mahachev. Not really, um, not really a big Islam guy. I, I think that he's completely dominant and he's going to win a, a decision, in fact, um, but I, I think that Islam Mahachev can approach Colby Covington, Kamaru Usman takedown numbers where they just completely break the slate, get 140, 160, not even kidding. And I, I think that if you don't have him and have to field about probably won't have him, I, I think that could be a mistake. And just looking at it, plus 215 uh, Mahachev to win via decision over the prop bet over there. I mean, look, it's to me, and I have not started constructing lineups. It To me, about being lesser on the field on Islam is more about what type of lineups can I put together. Now, someone asked right. me in Discord, would you stack this fight in a single entry? I think, I, I was, I think I'd say no. It's interesting. I'd probably stack the co-main event, if I'm being honest, because I think that could be High volume takedowns for Emmett, high volume strikes and kicks for Yair Rodriguez. And I do foresee that going the distance. 
Whereas like there is a there is a chance that Islam gets one takedown and that's all he needs. Mm-hmm. He's he's going to be massive on there on the map, but um I don't hate this stack. It's cheap enough to make it work. Yeah, yeah, just kind of looking at some of the comments over there. Uh this one uh from Shine says, Do you think the absence of Habib will make an impact? Now, for those who do who are not aware, Habib has not only retired as a fighter, he's not retired as a coach. He's you know living at home, being you know being with his family, and kind of the things I'd heard it was the travel aspect of it that really had gotten to him. Um, you know, he'll be there, quote unquote, in spirit, but he's not there in the corner. It'd be different if he if he was rooted in the United States, like you know, but but you know, having his family in Dagestan, you know what I mean? It's a little bit different. It's tough um, if he had family in vegas or something and then he could hop on flights and go away for the weekends and be home throughout the week you know what i mean um it's a little tough and, and pretty demanding as a coach a lot of people don't realize it especially when you have some of the top tier talent under your stable um you know umar namagamadov islam the list goes on and on so uh I, I do think that it could have an impact but that's where javier mendez comes in and javier mendez is a fantastic coach um so much experience you know corner champions is responsible for the development of AKA and whatever. All the success that a lot of these fighters had, Cain Velasquez, Luke Rockhold, uh, you know, it, it's it's quite Josh Koscheck, like so many fighters. You can keep going on and on about AKA, Josh Thompson. So um, I, I do think that Islam's in good hands. I would like it if, if Habib Nurmagomedov was around more, but it kind of is what it is. And I think that at the end of the day, it's an individual sport. And you know, as long as Islam's been preparing well enough, I think he'll, be, he'll do just fine. Uh, final thing we'll mention about this fight it comes from uh, Shine Asset about a uh, prop bet, whether you like it or not. Uh, how about Islam via submission, which is plus 150? I, I think that's going to be a very common prop bet. Um, and that's kind of a, a tricky situation where we, we did see Alexander Volkanovsky get put in some horrible positions by Brian Ortega. And Brian Ortega is a submission uh, sub- submission specialist for sure. Was unable to secure some of these submissions, and it looked like Volkanovski was impossible to choke. Uh, I-, I do think that this could be where you know incorporating ground and pound in a dominant position could lead to a stoppage. So I would probably, if you're going to look for an Islam finish, I would just go inside the distance. Truthfully, um, instead of trying to get a little greedy with the plus money of just a submission, but. Uh, I, I don't hate it. I think it's going to be one of the most common and most common prop bets of the entire card. Uh, something that I have not seen is who will be the referee for this fight. Yep. If if it is Herb Dean, and last week is an example of this, oh. Herb Dean will let a fight go on a little, when we're talking about ground and pound, longer than he did at one point. If you didn't see the Steve Al, uh, Steve Mallory, Ali Asia fight, I, I just felt like there was a point in that second round where Steve Mallory should have looked up and go, hey, Herb, what's it going to take? Yeah. Do I got to kill the no, guys? No, that's that's what you got to do a little bit. You got to give the give the eyes to the referee. And, you know, like some guys do it. They hit them twice and then they start looking at the referee, like begging for a stoppage. <laughs> but, you know, I've done it in the past where I'm like, okay, like because you, you want to persuade them in a way as well, especially if they're not defending themselves. Um Plus, you know, like, you know, time's ticking. And I, I do think that Steve Mowry should have got the stoppage in. The inconsistency from fight to fight is what's the issue. Like, how many times have we seen Herb Dean stop it for a lot less? Oh, yeah. And then and then now now he needs, like, you know, it, it's crazy. Like, you, you damn near need to 
completely maul them. And he was mauling them. So I, I don't even realize how he could not stop that fight. But it is what it is. And it's just inconsistent from fight to fight, which is the most frustrating for fighters. Now, the co-main event is also a five-round matchup. The interim featherweight title on the line. Yair Rodriguez taking on Josh Emmett. Yair Rodriguez is a minus-185 betting favorite, plus-150 for Josh Emmett. Looking at the DFS salaries, we got 8500 for Yair on DK, $20 on FanDuel. And for Josh Emmett, he's 7700 on DK, $17 over on FanDuel. Pete, uh, this is a fight that I truly do believe that this is a fight we got to prioritize for GPPs. Interesting. Um, it's it's kind of hard to get away from it just because of the pricing, right? Like we have Yair pretty cheap at eighty five, and then we also have Josh Emmett. It's going to be one of the most popular underdogs at seventy seven hundred, and the underdog actually has the wrestling advantage in this situation. So you and I were kind of touching on this prior to the show, and it's like, yeah, like why just go out there and and trade leather with Yair Rodriguez? You saw what that kind of did against Calvin Cater. It led to a split decision. And a lot of people think that he lost that fight to Calvin Cater. Um, I think what you can do to put a stamp on a round is by getting a takedown, uh, getting some top control, um, controlling the fight, basically controlling your opponent to basically put that stamp on that on that round. So uh, at kicking range, Yair Rodriguez should flow quite well. His kicks, he's so dynamic and tricky, and the volume is pretty pretty impressive. I like Yair Rodriguez to win the bout just because I do think that Emmett can get lured into a brawl and doesn't really go to the takedown well as much as I would like him to. Um, if you go and you look at his takedown attempts, there was one fight in his second fight in the UFC where he really put on his wrestling shoes, and that was against Scott Holtzman. He went 8 of 12 in the takedown department. Massive, massive takedown volume. Outside of that, he attempted two against John Tuck, one against Desmond Green, two against Felipe Aranches, couple fights with nothing, three takedown attempts against Michael Johnson, one against Shane Burgos, and four against Calvin Cater. And a lot of times he was unsuccessful. So it's it's kind of tough because it's all about path to victory. The clear path to victory is by incorporating takedowns and being the better MMA fighter, while Yair Rodriguez is the better striker of the two, the better kickboxer. Um, man, Yair looked damn good in the short fight against Brian, Brian Ortega. And even late against Max Holloway, he scored 81 in a loss. Um, prior to that, a nice decision win up against... Uh, Jeremy Stevenson scored 82. I'm leaning Yair Rodriguez, just kind of personal preference, uh, um, and also a little bias, truthfully, because uh, you know Yair Rodriguez's coach, Mike Valley, is a friend of mine and one of the coaches I dealt with when I was at the uh, the BMF ranch out there in New Mexico. And it's quite impressive what he's doing with his entire team, from Bilal Muhammad, um, Yair Rodriguez. You got a ton of up and coming guys within Valley Flow. Uh, that I really like and, and I like circling. So I think that Yair, Yair is starting to hit his stride, but this is a close fight. The pricing makes me want to stack it, and I'm probably going to stack this fight more than anything else. And you know I'm not big big of stacking. I just do think that this is going to go five rounds. The odds suggest that it's probably going to go to the fifth round. I, w- I would agree with that. I'm picking Yair Rodriguez, but there's an argument that Josh Emmett goes out there and just, just puts together a complete game plan. You know, as I was thinking about this fight is I was thinking about could Josh Emmett go the takedown route? But this is the crazy thing. This is going to be his 12th UFC fight this weekend here in Australia. His second UFC fight against Scott Holtzman, he landed eight takedowns. Since that fight, he has only landed two. Yep. That's my fear. 
It's, he just doesn't go to it enough. Now it could he could be forced to by getting hurt and stung on the feet from like knees and kicks to the body and kicks up the middle. Um, and I don't think that many people are going to be too comfortable when the guy's kicking. It's different. You know, I, I've had training partners of mine say like, you know, when you're slugging it out punch for punch with somebody, it's different. It's not, it can be intimidating, but not, not as intimidating as somebody that knows how to kick and they're ripping kicks from such a long range and they're brutalizing your legs and body and your head. So like, you know, somebody who comes from an extensive striking background, who's really good at kicking, it's helped me out a lot. And I know that Yair is a fantastic kicker. So as long as he stays within the correct range, I think he's going to have success. I love the fight though. I really, I can't wait to watch this one. Um, even if I got to, you know, watch it after I work. Do you look at Yair as a guy to target as a FanDuel MVP at $20? Truthfully, no. Um, and just because like, I think there's going to be tremendous volume, but it's still a close fight. And yeah. what I like to do for, for captains and FanDuel MVPs and all of that is I like to target fighters that I foresee having a high chance of getting a win not ones that are in a close 50-50 type of fight. And that's kind of how I view this fight. It's like, I thought this was going to be a pick em. It It's pretty close to it. I mean, Yair's favored a decent amount, but um, I actually think it's a, going to be really, really close. I probably like to put a captain or MVP as for like somebody I have tremendous faith in. You know what I mean? Like where I, I think that they're going to go out there and just completely get rid of their opponent. And, you know, to get different, you can target some of these these co-main fights that are five rounds. Um, but for me personally, I, I like to target the, the big boomer bust within that MVP or uh, captain spot. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that if you're looking to separate yourself from the field, I mean, let's say you're getting into the bigger GPPs and you're only maybe throwing one entry or, or maybe five entries. I think you do got to look at it with a game theory of saying, let me get away from the main event, co-main event, because that will allow you to get different with your roster construction. I mean, that's just kind of one game theory to think about as you're developing your rosters out there. Now, I know over on our chat in the score, people have been asking us about, you know, wants to talk about, you know, super draft picks, prize picks, and also underdog fantasy. That's going to be at the end of the show as we're going to give you some of the plays we like over there. I know prize picks uh, has a free square on Patrick Mahomes for the Super Bowl on Sunday. So uh, we'll talk about that after we give up our straight up fight picks here later on in the show. Roman, I see your question. We'll get to your question once we start kind of talking about those underdogs of Randy Brown and Francisco Prado. And uh, just, uh, I will tell you this. I have a feeling, well, because I heard Pete tell me about one of these guys. That's a, one of those guys does intrigue them there as a betting underdog. But let's get into Randy Brown as he's going to take on your guy, Jack Della Maddalena. Is is Jack Della Maddalena, is he in the Romanoff type, uh, you know, man crush list? He's beyond. He's beyond. Oh, Romanoff. Oh. Yeah. Rom now it, it goes Has Hamza Shemaev and number two is Jack Della Maddalena. Why? Like, he's past Aspinall too? Yeah, he's past Aspinall. Yep. Wow. And I and Aspinall's three. Um good. You were you've got great memory, man. And if you've been show, uh you know, listening to the show for a long time, appreciate you. We really appreciate you. If you could hit that like button, get us over fifty likes. You would know that all those fighters that Jason talked about are fighters that within their debuts I've been on and some of them have, you know, gone on to have tremendous success. Romanov's, you know, just he lost a a step a little bit. Um, but Marcin Tibor can do that to you. And, uh, you know, here we have Jack Della Maddalena stepping up significantly, significantly. Let's call it what it is, Jason. Like this is a, 
significant step up in competition. Uh, debut against Pete Rodriguez, wash him in 259 round one. Uh, Ramzan Amiv, big step up in competition, a, a fighter that gets really tired but has a tremendous wrestling advantage, washes him in round one. Danny Roberts, I thought, was a step back in competition. I thought that Ramazan Amiv is better than Danny Roberts, but still finishes him in round one. The way that Jack Della Maddalena strikes is just so unique. I don't think many fighters strike like him. Um, tremendous hands, has good head movement, rips and digs to the body. And if you ever got hit, got hit with a big body shot, it takes the will right out of you. It makes you start second guessing. And, you know, honestly, it shuts your body down if they hit you correctly. So when you get drilled to the body, your your guard's going to drop a little bit, and then Jack Della Maddalena capitalizes on it. Um, outside of his contender series fight, it's been a complete washout, and I actually think that this could be a war, pretty similar to the contender series fight. And Randy Brown's a guy that I love too, um, but let's call it what it is. He's on a four-fight win streak. He's fought legitimate competition within the UFC. He's 10-4. and four. Jack Della Maddalena is going to, you know, have to keep it on the feet because I do think that Randy Brown has a sneaky submission advantage over Jack Della Maddalena. Um, the chin is a little questionable for Randy Brown. He has been finished by Vicente Luque. Nico Price um, was uh, submitted a long time ago, back in 2016, against Michael Graves. But I think that is irrelevant because I think this is going to be a stand-up affair with Randy Brown kind of mixing in some dirty clinch work, trying to get the fight to the mat, he might want to stay at range because he can he can knock out Jack Della Maddalena. Maddalena took some shots on the Contender Series fight, but I do think that his durability is better than Randy Brown's. I think just everything, the miles are less on Maddalena. If you are not going to threaten him with wrestling, I think it's a matter of time before he processes what's in front of him en route to a, a uh, striking finish. And I think this is going to be a late finish because I'm giving Randy Brown as much respect as possible. But I think that Jack Della Madeline is going to get it done here again. I mean, this is a situation where are you legit or not? Or is this too much too soon? And if you think it's too much too soon, Randy Brown should be circled. He's on a four-fight win streak over Alex Oliveira, Jared Gooden, Chaos Williams, Francisco Trinaldo. The issue I have with Randy Brown is I projected him to actually get a finish over Francisco Trinaldo. And I thought that performance was pretty poor to what my 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 expectations were. So uh, give me Jack Della Maddalena at 9,200, one of the most impressive fighters on the card in Perth. I'm going to be targeting him a, a bunch. And I actually think that the field is going to be doing just the same. And I think it's rightfully so. It, it feels like one of those situations where this is the UFC setting him up in this yep. type of spot. Like that's just, it's, it's one of those feels here, but I mean, look, as you mentioned, it's a step up in competition. You're talking about, you know, uh, you know, in terms of he's going here. I mean, the $9,200 price tag, $21 on FanDuel. Do you think he pays it off though? That's the issue, right? Is because he's looked untouchable in the UFC scored 117 in his debut against Pete Rodriguez, 107 against Ramazan Amiv, 125 against Danny Roberts. I think it's going to be a later finish, if I'm being honest. like Because Rainey Brown's going to stick him with so many jabs, and he's just a very long-rangey fighter that is going to take some time for uh, you know Jack Della Maddalena to kind of process it, figure out the, the tendencies, and throw a shot, kind of like slip and rip. Um, but I think it's going to be a little bit later. So... I'm still getting to him because we don't know how bad the chin of Randy Brown is. 
And also, like, it could lead to more knockdowns because Randy Brown's toughness is just phenomenal. And knockdowns are somewhat broken in DFS. So if he lands two two knockdowns, you're probably going to need him, you know, in your lineup despite these salaries. So um, I have a sneaky suspicion it's going to be a second or third round finish, which I'm getting to him plenty. But I'm kind of just like game theory wise thinking kind of outside that box. Like I wish he was like 8,600. Then it's be, he'd be a yeah. lock. 9,200. It's like we got a good a, a lot of good 9,000 options this week. Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's an option we're going to talk about here momentarily that he's not a 9,000 option. He's close to a 9,000 option. That's intriguing to me. Uh, Samuel, appreciate your questions. Of course, uh, we'll get to your questions there uh, towards the end of the show. And, of course, uh, if you ever have any content that you want to hear, whether it's on the show or maybe we, we create some other videos here on this channel, all you got to do is let me and Pete know the type of content you want as we're here to uh, give you the content that you want here at Fight HQ. We're trying to build this channel up. So if you're not subscribed to the channel, really appreciate if you subscribe to the channel hit that notification bell we're trying to get to a thousand subscribers and uh, that over four thousand watch hours so we can start to monetize this channel so appreciate everyone tuning in here of course if you're not in our Discord channel totally free to join uh, it's a uh, great conversations that we have in there throughout the week and of course we'll be in there uh all I'll, I'll be in there tomorrow night probably a little bit later i got a got a birthday party to go to for a family so uh, i'm gonna trying to get home by about uh about an hour before the pay-per-view starts. So that, that's kind of what I got going on over there. Uh, but we appreciate everyone that's in our Discord channel. Let's move over. Next up, we got a heavyweight matchup. And this is one that, uh, man, I don't know if you're going to feel good going either way on, P. We'll find out your take here. That's Justin Taffa and Parker Porter. Justin Taffa, a minus 130 betting favorite, plus 110 for Parker Porter. Then we look at the DFS salaries, 8400 for Taffa on DK, $16 on FanDuel. And for Parker Porter, 7800 on DK, $15 on FanDuel. Yeah, I had this fight circled, and I think it's a tricky fight. And the reason it's a tricky fight is because Justin Toffa is a guy who just hits so damn hard. Um, but he's relatively green in his MMA career, if we're being honest. In comparison to Parker Porter, he's 5-3, and three, whereas Parker Porter is 13-7. Uh, Parker Porter has fought some legitimate competition and has seen it all coming from New England. Like, you know, he's had to fight some tough fights. He, at one point... Uh, fought John Jones, which is kind of crazy. Um, but like throughout his entire career, we've seen him, you know, he's even fought Gabriel Gonzaga. So like th- he's been around for a long time. He knows what he does well. He throws really, really good boxing combinations. And then in addition to that, he has probably some of the best. I got to be careful with this. Yeah, I'll probably say it. Some of the best jujitsu for a heavyweight, just because like, He's he recognizes position. Um, I, I think that he should have got some finishes. Like I, I thought that he was supposed to finish Alain Badeau. I thought that was kind of you know I, I didn't like how he didn't get the finish there. Chase Sherman. I thought he was going to be able to get the finish there. Josh Parisian. But those three fighters are tough. You know, two two of those fighters are are tough MMA fighters, and that's Parisian and Sherman. Uh, losing to Jalton Almeida in round one. Jalton's doing that to everybody. He's going to be a, a name to watch for the for the foreseeable future. The issue with this fight, right, is Parker Porter could be the better minute winner, and that's what I'm projecting over Justin Taffa. But all it takes is one shot from Justin Taffa to knock you out. So I actually anticipate Parker Porter walking down Justin Taffa, throwing higher volume, um, similar to Jared Vandera. And Jared Vandera is not a good heavyweight, in my opinion. 
and he was able to, um, you know, basically double the output of Justin Toffler throughout the entire contest. If Toffler threw 15, um, Jared Vandera threw 30. So if you can have better pace and volume than Justin Toffler, you're able to beat him in a decision. I just worry that Parker Porter, throughout his entire tenure, been around for a long time, one big shot from Justin Taffa in Australia is all it's going to take. So Parker Porter is going to be an underdog play that I'm going to actually suggest as a, a fighter who can get a significant amount of points because of volume. Also some sneaky takedown upside if he gets the fight to the mat with some sneaky submission upside. And you know he's going to attempt takedowns. He attempted eight against Alain Badeau, only landed two. Eight against Chase Sherman, only landed one. Went two of four against Josh Parisian. If he gets on top of Justin Taffa, this could be pretty ugly for Justin Taffa. But like I said, and basically kind of to summarize everything, Parker Porter is probably going to be the better fighter throughout until he gets hit with a big shot. So I'm getting to both of them, but I'm going to suggest that Parker Porter is going to win. Yeah, this is what, as I was hearing you talk about, you know, breaking down this, the thought. And right when you started mentioning about sneaky takedown upside for Parker Porter. I started thinking FanDuel at fifteen dollars. Yeah. yeah, I like that. I like that. I mean, that's where that's like your territory playing on FanDuel. Um, but I, I like it. And uh I don't trust Parker Porter, but I at this point I don't trust any heavyweights. I just don't. <laughs> yeah. You know, like they they literally just like I thought I could trust Romanov and I can't trust Romanov. I can't trust any of these heavyweights. Like even Marcin Tybora last week thought he looked terrible until round three when he actually did the entire game plan I thought he was going to do. And then he was very close to getting a submission win over Blagoy Ivanov. It was like, where was that? Round one and two. Wait, like, I don't even know what he was doing. It was like luring him into a striking mindset. And then round three, like if that's your game plan, it's silly. Like go out there and have the clear path to victory and try to attempt to get a finish. Um, but yeah, I'm going to go with Parker Porter. Could be hometown bias. If you want to just be kind of neutral to that, just go 50-50 on the fight. Um, I have a sneaky suspicion that it's going to be a part of the optimal lineup. And Justin Taffa, man, when he threw a head kick over Harry Hunsucker and, and you know scored 103, got a, a KO over uh, Juan Adams, scored 104. But this is the same guy that lost two decisions to Carlos Felipe and Jared Bandera. So I'm going to be picking Parker Porter. You know, as if people are like myself, that I love to color code my documents. I print them up, and and when I'm developing roster, I'm color coding things. And like, this will be under the color code boom bust, like because I feel like that's the way to describe this. Either I think one guy's going to probably score really well, and the other one may not. So that that's it's a little fear for me in in terms of this one. Let's move over to the next one. We got a light heavyweight matchup: Jimmy Crute and Alonzo Minifield. Jimmy Crute, a minus one eighty five betting favorite, plus one fifty for Alonzo Minifield. Uh, Crute eighty six hundred on DK, seventeen dollars on FanDuel, while Alonzo Minifield is seventy six hundred and thirteen dollars on FanDuel. Pete, what's your thoughts on these two hundred five pounders? I can't trust either one, if I'm being honest. And admittedly, I struggle with this fight. You know, um, Jimmy Crute's a guy that I had with pretty high ceiling within the division. Um, you know, submitted Paul Craig in his debut; that was fantastic. Uh, he's able to get takedowns at such a high rate, and uh, you know, when he lost to Misha Serkinov via submission in round one, I was quite surprised. Followed that up with two wins, two finishes: one over Mihal Olashechuk and a knockout finish over Modestus Bukowskis against Mihal Olashechuk. He went to the takedown well got eight of 10 takedown attempts. 
Um, and, but most recently, he's on a skid where he lost to TKO to uh, Anthony Smith and then was knocked out against Jamal Hill. And I'll tell you something that I, I don't trust with Jimmy Crew. It's his durability. Uh, this is a guy that's renowned to have leg injuries throughout his entire grappling career. Pretty similar to Dan Kelly. Um, but like, if you're out there and you're chopping leg kicks, you saw what Anthony Smith was able to do. Hit him with some brutal leg kicks, gave him some drop foot. But prior to that, it seems like he has a questionable chin, Jason. Like, Anthony Smith stung him with a jab and almost sat him down. Stung him with several jabs throughout that and it was like he was getting flashed every time he was getting jabbed which was quite surprising and then when he fought you know jamal hill no matter what jamal hill hit him with rocked him knocked him down and knocked him out in 48 seconds so i i think that if jimmy crute stays in front of alonzo menafield one blitz from alonzo menafield is going to be all that it needs and alonzo menafield starts almost all of his fights the same way touches gloves throws a massive right hand followed by a left hook almost every single time to kind of set the tone and get that early, early respect. Menafield's a guy that I'm circling as one of my favorite underdogs on the slate. But with that being said, I don't trust him either. I think that there's going to be a time when somebody breaks Alonzo Menafield. I have concerns about his about his cardio. Um, I have concerns about his grappling if he's on his back. I have concerns about his coaching. Uh, you know, having Pat Berry hyper die around him. I don't know, man. That just seems weird to me. No no offense to Pat Berry, but it just seems so strange. And I, I do think that, you know, Jimmy Crute can pick up a win here if he repeatedly goes to the takedown well and then starts to fatigue Alonzo Menafield. He could break the slate. But I think the more likely situation is that Jimmy Crute tries to get a feel for it on the feet before he starts shooting takedowns, gets stung with some big, big shots, and gets knocked out relatively quickly. Um so I'm going to go with Alonzo Menafield as the lean, but I don't trust either one of these fighters. I like the under two and a half. I might even like the under one and a half. This is going to be a massive, massive score for one of these fighters. I'm going to lean the underdog in Alonzo Menafield. I was actually just looking at the over-under numbers on this fight. Uh, under, one, by the way, I'm sure you could probably hear that. You can tell I live near, near Air Force Base. Um, under one and a half, minus 143, plus 108 if you want to take the over one and a half. The under two and a half rounds, minus 315, plus 215 on the over two and a half rounds. So that kind of tells you where the betting public believes this fight is not going the distance here, but could be another, you know, I've always had a concern with Alonzo Minifield is if this thing hits minute eight, minute nine, 10, 11, so on and so forth, is, is, that, is that, that blitzing attire that... You know, that full volume pace he has, is that gas tank going to be there? Yeah, I don't think it will be. I'm telling you, somebody's going to break Alonzo Menafield. And I've been like picking against him in some matchups just because I think that certain fighters can really test him in ways that work against his his strengths. So when you start testing somebody's weaknesses all the time, their, their uh, cardio systems are not accustomed to this. And if he has to constantly get up from a heavy Jimmy, Jimmy Crute takedown let's say jimmy crute lands eight takedowns i think alonzo middlefield gets finished because he's just going to be so labored from all of that um you saw what william knight was able to do william knight was able to get some takedowns and engage in a war hit and hurt alonzo middlefield numerous times and middlefield whether he was still rocked or so fatigued that he looked wobbly on the feet there's a there's a world where jimmy crute's talented enough to avoid the damage of middlefield and then 
similar to how my friend Brennan Ward did against Sabah Hamasi, incorporate wrestling early, fatigue your opponent. When they're fatigued, now beat the heck out of them standing up. And that looked, you know, that worked wonders for Brennan Ward. And a similar game plan could actually work towards uh, Jimmy Crook getting his hand raised. But uh, I'm going to lean the underdog in Alonzo Minifield. Next up, we got another 205-pound matchup. We got Tyson Pedro taking on the returning Modestus Bukakis. Tyson Pedro, a minus 225 betting favorite, uh, 8900 DK, $18 on Fanduel. Yeah, apparently they are doing a lot That's of cool, uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, takeoffs and landing here, uh, here in South Tampa. Uh, Modestus Bukakis plus 190 betting underdog, uh, $12 on Fanduel, 7300 on Modestus Bukakis. I mentioned about there's a fighter. Right around this 9,000 mark that is truly intriguing to me. And Tyson Pedro, I heard someone else talk about this week. I, whoever is around Tyson Pedro, they find him the most ideal matchups. Fantastic matchmaking. Fantastic matchmaking. It's like it's like if Jason Floyd was your was your your manager. They're just getting fantastic matchups. Like I, I will tell you that Tyson Pedro is in a significant spot to get another victory here. And He's looked career best, man. Like back-to-back finishes over Ike Villanueva and Harry Harry Hunsucker. He's very patient, and against the guy Modestus Pukowskis, who actually is returning to the UFC after having a severe knee injury, where Khalil Roundtree just completely, you know, oblique stomped him in the knee. I thought his career might have been done outside the UFC. Picked up a very very nice finish with a right hand knockout. I just think that. His path to victory is kind of winning a decision against Tyson Pedro. And hear me out. He can win a decision as long as he outvolumes Pedro. And if you go back and you look at Tyson Pedro in Ike Villanueva and Harry Hunsucker performances, he doesn't throw that much. Um, you know, 29 significant strikes thrown in round one against Ike Villanueva, 11 thrown against Harry Hunsucker. You know, 29. With four minutes and 55 seconds, that volume's not astounding, but he was still winning the fight. And I actually think that the coaches want him to keep getting some of that experience under the lights, um, especially because, like, you know, you want to see how you feel in round two and round three. So don't rush anything. And he hasn't been rushing anything. He buries leg kicks phenomenally. And I think that he could hurt Modestus Bukowskis in, uh, to the legs, followed up by knocking him out. I mean, Bukowskis was knocked out against Jimmy Crute, whose specialty is grappling. So um, I'm not backing Modestus Bukowskis. I think that Pedro's going to get another victory here, um, probably round two, round three. But if this actually touches the later rounds, I'm not surprised because Bukowskis moves well and he might throw better volume. I mean, he threw 49 significant strikes against Andreas Mihilidis in round one. Um, so I, I think this is going to be Tyson Pedro just having the more significant shots in, in route to a finish, but his patience could actually work against us DFS players. That's my only worry. Yeah, I mean, uh, Modestus Pukakis is a guy that I've had a chance to talk to uh, countless times, but I just, kinda, I just kind of feel like this just isn't a great matchup for him here. You know, that's why Tyson Pedro, to me, like when we talk about building a, a core lineup, Tyson Pedro will be a core play for me uh, in, in terms of this one. Now, before we move over to the next matchup, <laughs> I got to bring in a little bit of a guest analysis in here. Some of you have maybe seen or heard this guest analysis, and that is from Sadiq Youssef. Josh Kalabo versus Melsik Bakdasarian. Let's count it out. One, two, three, 
white man with eight consonants in his last name, he is not losing. <laughs> Definitely not to a non-white guy named Josh. <laughs> Bro, when uh, I heard that when I heard that the first time, I was cracking up laughing. So oh, damn good. Oh, it's Sadiq. Sadiq is uh he he is hilarious, man. And if you look at his content, it, he calls it the unprofessional breakdown. And yes. I think that is the perfect title for it. And it's fantastic. Um, I would agree, though. I, I like Melsic uh, Bogdasarian. He's a fantastic striker. Uh, Josh Kulabau is a, is a fighter that actually surprises us. You know what I mean? Like he, he got a draw, had a draw against Charles Jordan, and it was primarily because of just picking up a knockdown. Um and then I believe there's a point deduction. I, I I don't really remember. Picked up a decision over Shai Yilan. Scored only 58. Split decision over Sung Woo Choi. But guess what? Landed two knockdowns, which completely surprised me. I don't think that he's going to be able to knock down Melsic Bogdasari in here. Melsic's stand-up is completely next level. Phenomenal kickboxer. Uh, needs to keep the fight on the feet. So he needs to defend takedowns just like he did against Bruno Souza, where he defended four of them. Um I actually think that Melsic's going to pick up a stoppage here over Josh Kulabau. Uh I think that it's going to be like a, a knee to the body and uh, followed up by some ground and pound. So give me Melsic Bogdasar in here at 8,000. I like him much more. Even if he wins only a decision, I'm okay with it because, you know, I'm just going to take the W and move on. I, I think that he shouldn't be the uh, the slight underdog on DraftKings. Um, but I, I do feel like the field's going to agree with me, and they, they're going to like Melsic a little bit more than Josh Kulabau. I know it won't happen, but man, UFC, put that sneak UFC audio on the broadcast. Just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and, and put it up there. And uh, But, you know, $15 each way over on FanDuel. So if you're looking to save a little bit of, of a salary here over on FanDuel, $15, you do like it there. And in terms of ownership that we're seeing, whether we're talking about DraftKings or FanDuel, not really anything significant, so it could be something that you do target in terms of that. Let's move over. Next up, we got a flyweight matchup. Glyson Rodriguez taking on Shannon Ross. 8800 for Glyson Rodriguez. 7400 for Ross. 20 and 19 over on FanDuel and uh, Rodriguez is a minus 325 betting favorite. If you like the underdog here in Shannon Ross, he's plus 270, Pete. I mean, I think that Shannon Ross is going to bring it um, and he can bring it and just get in your face and make this a firefight. He was doing well on the contender series in some moments, mainly in the early portion of round two, but he was knocked down several times and, uh, I think now debuting against one of the prospects from the uh, from the contender series in Clayton Rodriguez, uh, many people, including myself, didn't think that he was going to lose to CJ Vergara. Granted, it was a split decision loss. Uh, still scored 60 points. But if you can pr- bring a tremendous pace against Clayton Rodriguez and you're not terrible on the mat, I think that you can be a threat to beat him. Clayton Rodriguez went 2 of 7 against, uh, against CJ Vergara with 3 minutes of control time. I like Clayson Rodriguez to win this bout. I feel like he can win a decision um, or a late round stoppage. But, I mean, it's not a priority for me. And, and typically, flyweight fighters aren't priorities for me. I do think that this is a complete mismatch um, as long as Clayson's in shape. I like him here at 8,800. There's just some other fights that I'm attracted to. Uh, and this could be a situation where, like, Tyson Pedro. And Clayson Rodriguez, 8,800 and 8,900 are kind of going lost in the shuffle, just completely overlooked in that high 8,000 range. I'm going to get to Clayson and I'm going to get to Tyson Pedro, but I mean, like, I don't know. I I feel like there's some other 
better boom bust fights. This could be complete dominance from Clayton though. So I'm picking him to win. I'm just not really I'm not really convinced it's the best DFS score. I'm projecting something in the 90s. Yeah, I mean, I would rather get the Tyson Pedro just because uh, of the knockout upside. I mean, we're, we're talking right. about, you know, you know, 205 pound fighters versus flyweight fighters and you know someone uh you know hockey uh freak sean asked about uh you know pay you know does pedro ko him in the first because of low volume i mean look it's I, it, as i'm thinking about rostering pedro i pedro i'm thinking about you know first early second round finish hopefully it's a first round finish to get us some more points there uh but you know it, it's one of these things of you know, flyweights god I, I i i find myself not trying to go all in on them yeah that's what i'm saying like and you could do worse than getting to a flyweight underdog. Um, and I hate kind of having that on paper analysis because you know on paper these fights don't turn out how there's how some of them project. Um, on paper, a lot of these fights don't look that interesting. And then you actually watch the fights, you're like, oh my gosh, anything can happen in there. But certain weight classes and women's MMA and flyweights tend to have some more underdogs. It goes flyweights, women's MMA, and heavyweight MMA tend to have more underdogs that come through other than, you know, besides some other weight classes. So I, I don't hate the Shannon Ross hometown rub if it's a close, high-volume affair. I won't get to it and prioritize it a lot. Yeah, they're better underdogs that I'm kind of focused on and one we're going to get to. And we're going to get to that one right now here. We got Jamie Malarkey taking on Francisco Prado. Prado, 7,500, 8,700 for Malarkey on DraftKings. 18 and 11, respectively, on FanDuel. Uh, Jamie Malarkey, a minus 265 betting favorite. Um, you know, I remember Jamie Malarkey's last fight against Michael Johnson. I'm sitting going, man, take down City. And then he just gets, he gets dropped early on in the fight. You're like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. Yeah. This ain't good. And you know what? And kudos to him, man. He stood toe-to-toe with Michael Johnson. Yeah, he's a beast. Like, I, I love Jamie Malarkey. He's an absolute beast. And he's able to win some of these wars and firefights by initiating takedowns and getting and, and scoring them. Um, the issue I do have with Jamie Malarkey is he gets hit so much and he's willing to bite down on that mouthpiece and kind of have that coin flip 50-50, let's see who, who's tougher type of mindset. And, uh, you know, that's good. But at, at some point, you know, your body's taking so much damage and you're starting to get dropped in favorable matchups. I don't know, man. I It just seems like a tendency, like Jamie Malarkey gets hurt every fight and then sometimes he's able to come from behind besides the Jalen Turner fight and, and put it together. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this kid, this, this little, uh, shouldn't even say little, this prospect, Francisco Prado, I think he's legitimate, man. I really think he's legitimate. Fantastic striking, bombs away. Like he, they're gonna engage in some 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 crazy exchanges. He throws tremendous punches. His kicks are unbelievable from a taekwondo background. So his kicks are phenomenal. I wouldn't be surprised if he lands a wheel kick, spinning hook kick to the head of Jamie Malarkey, or a spinning back kick to the body, and just completely takes the fight out of Jamie Malarkey. Because that's what you got to do for certain fighters like uh, Jamie Malarkey. You know that they're going to be able to take some shots. They may get dropped, but they're they're going to keep fighting. So what you do to a guy that's so, so tough mentally is you start going after the body and you make the body basically make the decision for them. I think that's what's going to happen here. I'm going to project a Francisco Prado knockout over Jamie Malarkey. Um, and this is where understanding how to play DFS and understanding how to bet is completely different. I like the under in this fight, right? 
So if I was betting or putting this on a parlay, outside of a late, uh, you know, a late Jamie Malarkey coming from behind and getting a finish, I would just rather play the under and sit back and watch the fireworks. Um, but for DFS, you have to find underdogs that are going to fight for your dollar. And I think that Francisco Prado in his debut is going to rise to the occasion. So give me Francisco Prado here. It may be, um, maybe like a, I might regret this on Sunday, but I actually think that Prado is ready for the UFC. So give me Prado. You mentioned about the unders in this matchup and Shine asking about, so is under two and a half the betting play here? And looking at the under two and a half, so you got uh, minus 165 and uh, the under one and a half, you can get plus money at plus 123. Yeah, I think it's going to be crazy. I'd go under two and a half to be safe. I try not to get too greedy. You know what I mean? Like under two and a half, be safe. And then if you pair that with something else, or even if you just put large money on that under two and a half, that's better than losing out by a couple seconds. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what you don't want to, you know, you don't want it to be like late into round two. And you're like, why didn't I just play the under two and a half? So for me, I like to play a little safer with stuff like that. But yeah, get, I think it's going to be crazy. And if Francisco Prado's unable to get the finish, that could be typical Jamie Malarkey fashion. Late round finish, comes from behind, gets it done for you. But Prado's going to be one of my favorite underdogs on the entire slate. Next up, we got Jack Jenkins taking on Don Shanus. Jack Jenkins is a minus 340 betting favorite, plus 275 for Don Shanus. 9300 for Jenkins on DK, $22 on FanDuel. And then for Don, he is 6900 on DK, $9 on FanDuel. Uh, I spoke to Don probably about, uh, man, it's probably been about three, four weeks ago at this point now. Um, I, I did have to ask the question of, hey, what's going on with training? Because he had moved to Missouri yeah. to train at Glory. And, of course, we all know what happened there. So he is now back in the Northeast training where he has been training. But I thought the one of the more interesting things that he said to me, Pete, was he doesn't, even though Jack Jenkins, you know, went the takedown route in his contender series matchup, he does not think that's going to be the case here. Yeah. I mean, he, Jenkins doesn't like go after takedowns like a normal wrestler would. He uses his Muay Thai and his trips and the upper body attacks to really land takedowns. And it's more so to kind of just, you know, get into an advantageous position after he's completely dismantling you on the feet. I think that Jenkins is a fantastic fighter, excellent Muay Thai, very, very good Muay Thai. And, uh, you know, he reminds me, and the name is escaping me right now, Jason, but he reminds me of the guy who just won the PFL championship with similar style Muay Thai um, and he just, he, he throws knees up the middle. He butchers his opponents. Um, and he's just, as long as he can keep it upright, I think he's going to win this fight over Don Shanus. And for people that don't know Don Shanus, he's much better than how he looked against Sadiq Youssef, where it only lasted 30 seconds and he was submitted relatively quickly. But like Shanus is a fantastic pressure wrestler. If he can get into good positions the Achilles heel for Don Shanus is that he takes tremendous damage on the feet. And after he takes so much damage on the feet, sometimes he just, he'll get TKO'd in a situation like that, or, you know, he'll cut open quite easily. I think Jenkins is going to butcher him and this could lead to a higher score. Um, but if Shanus gets on top, you could see, you know, the ground and pound open something up for Shanus and Jenkins gets submitted just like he did back early on in his, in his uh, professional career. But I'm projecting Jack Jenkins, one-way traffic, keeps it on the feet, butchers Don Shanus, 
and uh, really is is hitting his stride. I think it's just too many X factors for for Don Shanis. Like that whole gym debacle and complete situation around Glory MMA. Like that's that's a lot for a fighter to go through, um, especially when you thought that you're you're you know finally finding your your UFC camp. Rob Wilkinson is his name. Thank God. Thank you. Thank you, DJ. Too. You knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, you know when when I talked to Don about it, and like I didn't really want to hammer on this glory point i but i knew it was something that i had to ask i had to ask the question um you know look at the prop bets maybe you like jenkins via tko ko plus 140 uh in terms of that betting prop over there but yeah man it's um it's an interesting aspect of what's going on there and you know speaking of glory because i was kind of doing some uh advance um of looking at some bellator events pierce james galher is still training at glory so that's going to be kind of interesting to see whether or not James Krause is in his corner come March 10th. That's weird. I thought he got, is it only for UFC that he got? Revoked? Yeah. Bellator never came out and, and said one way or the other. I kind of Scott, Scott Coker basically essentially said, Hey, that's a, that's a commission thing. We'll lean on the commission. So whether or not they're going to license James Krause, but yeah, that was a, uh, they better hope they don't come to new England. I'll tell you that because you know, you get licensed here. Uh, uh, you think he would? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've I okay. In terms of the regular me and you are both thinking of, I've had that yeah. conversation, but I, he didn't give me an answer one way or the other. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I do think that's quite interesting. Um, you know, it's an opportunity for some of these glory fighters to actually have a platform to perform. So, from a business standpoint, maybe it makes sense. But also, you got to be very careful with this when, it, when you're talking about foul play. A lot of the glory fighters, I think ultimately you're going to see them end up either at Factory X or Team Oyama in California under under Kali Oyama. Uh, David Onama, the featherweight, he is now at Factory X. Uh, also now at Factory X is Vanessa Demopoulos. Uh, Vanessa was at Fight Ready, and um, that, let's just say there was a there was an issue between the owner of Fight Ready and a certain management company. So weird. So weird. The MMA, man. It's a shysty business. We know this. Yeah, it's a weird business. Uh, Moving over next, we got a female matchup. Luma Lukbumi taking on Elise Reed. Luma Lukbumi, a minus 315 betting favorite, plus 260 for Elise Reed. Luma Lukbumi is 9,000 on DK, 19 on FanDuel. And then Reed, she's $7,210 on FanDuel. Pete, can you talk me off being over the field on Lukbumi? I mean, I love Luma Lukbumi. I think that. She hasn't found a finish inside the UFC yet, and I do think it's coming. Um, but, you know, in women's MMA, finishes are, are somewhat rare, especially the lighter weight classes. Uh, I do think that it's a perfect contrarian play to get to Loman Lokbumi because I don't think that Elise Reed's on the, on the same level as her at all, like at all. I, I think that we're going to see Loma just completely dismantle her on the feet, probably knock her down a couple times from push kicks up the middle, um, if this ends up into the clinch, you could see Loma Lukbumi, you know, really put together some takedowns also, not like traditional wrestling takedowns, but more so like Thai fighters in the clinch, tripping you and just off balancing you in route to just one way traffic. I, I don't think that Elise Reed's really going to have much for Loma Lukbumi. Um, and I, I hate to say it, but I think Lukbumi is one of the best parlay pieces on the card. As far as a DFS play, she hasn't done it. She just hasn't done it. And it's almost like, well, is this the time? Do you want to be early or do you want to be late to the party? 
She's she scored ninety four against Denise Gomez, ninety one against Sam Hughes. You saw what Sam Hughes did did, did to uh, Elise Reed. I do think that there is potential for a hundred points. If I had to bet on it or bank on it, I'm going to say no. Just as history has shown, she hasn't done it yet. But I I do think that this is a very very favorable matchup for her. I don't think that Elise Reed's all that talented, and Loma Lukbumi should make it look relatively easily easy in there. So. I was kind of just doing some hand builds, and I like hand building a lot nowadays. And uh, Luke Boomy's a fighter I just kept landing on. I'm like, yep, fine with that, fine with that. I'm just going to hope she can get to 100 points. Yeah, it's uh, when we talk about uh, prize picks, underdog fantasy, uh, she is someone that I will be targeting over on those sides here uh, this weekend. Now, talk about targeting a fight. This next fight to me has got GPP written all over it. I want to have both sides of this fight, Pete. Shane Young and Blake Builder. Uh, Shane Young, a minus 140 betting favorite, plus 120 uh, for Blake Builder. Then over on DK, 8300 for Young, 16 on FanDuel. And Blake is 7900 on DK, 14 dollars on FanDuel. I went all across this fight because like to me, I don't think this fight is going the distance. I think someone's getting KO'd within 10 minutes. Yeah, I love this fight for GPPs. So I circled this one. I circled the Jamie Malarkey fight, Francisco Prado, Blake Builder, Shane Young fight. Excuse me. Um, my issue here is that Shane Young does not appear to be dangerous. He appears to be consistent in certain matchups. But he doesn't appear to be dangerous. The Rolando D fight, his second fight in the UFC, is one where he actually did really well and he scored 122 points. And why is that? Well, he threw 120, uh, 215 significant strikes, landed 104 of them, also went to the takedown well a little bit, only landed one of five, but he was able to get a second round finish. So when you mix and incorporate high volume with a finish, you're going to break the slate. Outside of that, he was completely dismantled in his debut against Alexander Volkanovsky. Can't really fault him for that. Um, knocked out relatively quickly, just a little bit over one minute against Ladovic Klein with head kick into a barrage of punches. Um, and then he lost to Omar Morales in a low volume, tentative fight. And that's what I look at Shane Young and I see now in his fight film. It's like he's so tentative and he's worried about, he's fighting to not lose. He's not fighting to win. And that's the issue where you, when you are, you know, knocked out and you're coming off of so much damage and your career's on the line, there's a lot of added pressure. So when you go out there and you're trying to just be safe and, and avoid, you know, those high volume, like when he did against Rolando D, he bit down on that mouthpiece and he got into the, the phone booth and he just completely traded. I don't think that he's from the body language and everything, unless he completely turns everything around, I think he's going to lose. I think he's going to lose here to, you know, Blake Builder, a guy that actually hit a huge underdog ticket on on his contender series fight. Blake Builder throws heat on the feet, throws tremendous hands. And guess what? He's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he will have the takedown advantage here against Shane Young. The issue is the strength of schedule. It's been decent. Um, but if you go back and you look at his regional tape against Reginaldo Car- Carvalho, he was knocked down three times in round one. Three times. And it didn't even look like some of those shots were the most significant. So on one hand, I really want to pick Shane Young just because I think that any shot can sit Blake Builder down. And just you know, being in the UFC and this being in his hometown, he could rise to the occasion when his job's on the line. But from everything I've seen and the stride that I think Blake Builder is hitting, 
I got to go with Blake Builder. It's got to be a lean towards Blake Builder. He's going to be one of the most, you know, popular underdogs, at least for me. And when I look at the ownership or what I what we're projecting for ownership, I'm really surprised. Like, I really am surprised, Jason. I, I thought that more people would be believers, but this could be because of that Regivaldo Carvalho fight where Builder gets dropped three times. You think the fight's done, but certain fighters respond to that in certain ways. And Blake Builder's got that dog in him, stood back up, bit down on that mouthpiece, and ended up picking up a finish and knocked down Regivaldo in the second round and then finished him in the third round, gets takedowns when he wants to. So multiple paths to victory here for Blake Builder. Just has to avoid the big shot. But I think Shane Young's going to be a little too tentative. So give me Builder here at 7,900. Yeah, I'm with you as well. I, I like this for GPP. And, and I was actually surprised this fight did not have more ownership Correct. than what is being projected in terms of this one. And you talked about, you know, fights I'm going to be targeting. This is going to be a fight that we are going to be targeting there. And of course, uh, if you want to show your support here for the channel, uh, you want to uh, get our friends over Stochastic. Uh, Full disclosure, we still have access to all the, the tools and data over to Stochastic, but it is a great way to show uh, your support for what me and Pete do here as they do got a special there for the Fight HQ. Just look down in the description if you're watching this on YouTube. If you're listening to this on the podcast channels, this, po- this show is available via podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, everywhere. You can get podcasts. It'll be in the show notes as well. And of course, uh, be sure to join our Discord channel. Uh, great conversation in there. And of course, uh, it's free to hit that thumbs up button to be sure to do that and uh, rating review. All that does help us out a lot as well. Now, our opening fight of the night, P, will have our biggest salary fighter, uh, Zubara, at $9,600, $22 on FanDuel, so second highest over on FanDuel. He's a minus 580 betting favorite, taking on Brenner here, who's a plus 440 betting underdog. He is $8 on FanDuel, 6600 over on DraftKings. One thing to note about this, Zubara now up at 155 pounds after we have the issues of competing at 145 pounds and making weight. So that to me is going to be kind of an interesting thing to see uh, the weigh-ins today. The official weigh-ins are at 6 p.m. Eastern time. The ceremonial weigh-ins will be at 10 p.m. Eastern time. I am interested to see what Zubara looks like on the scale at 155 as opposed to what we saw him at 145 or attempting to make 145. Yeah. I mean, I like Zubara to off here. Um, you know, I, I, don't like odds that are approaching crazy like six to one favorites and all that but you know we did have Zubara supposed to face a much tougher foe um and now you have Elvis Brenner stepping up on short notice so you know I I don't think that this kid Elvis Brenner is all that good um and I think that he could be in some fun matchups but we talk about Zubara Tugulov was supposed to face off against Joel Alvarez Joel Alvarez is is really damn talented that would have been a tricky, tricky fight. And I probably would have been siding with Joel Alvarez, if I'm being honest. Um, Elvis Brenner, when he throws, he hits really hard. It looks like he has a questionable gas tank. Um, pretty sloppy takedown attempts. Can get put on his back and grounded, pounded. Um, he seems fine when he's going forward. But if somebody presses the action and they throw towards him, it, he does seem like he gets a little flustered, flustered. Never mind if they start incorporating takedowns. Outside of a Hail Mary, something stupid that shouldn't land, lands. I think that Zubaira Tukugov wins this fight, you know, it's close to 10 out of 10 times. Like, I, I'm serious. I, I think that this the skill gap is pretty significant. We've seen Zubaira Tukugov, you know, knock out some pretty impressive fighters. He knocked out Kevin Aguilar in round one. I think Kevin Aguilar is a tougher fighter than this Elvis Brenner. Um, we've seen him pick up other knockdowns. We had him 
He picked up two against Kevin Aguilar. He knocked down Lerone Murphy one time. Just was hurting Ricardo Hamosh on the feet, you know, and uh, got caught on a spin and elbow, and the fight ended up going the distance. And it was still a pretty decisive victory for uh, Zubaira Tugukov. The issue here is, do you think he pays off the price tag? And I think he does, as long as he doesn't get hurt. And then it's like, ah, I'll just coast to a win. Um, he attempted eight takedowns against Lerone Murphy in a split decision draw. He scored 55. We need 120 plus. So we either need him to take uh, Elvis Brennan to take down City, which he's more than capable of, but we'd like him to take him to take down City en route to a finish also, whether it's a submission finish or a TKO finish. So I think the salary's fine. I wish it was cheaper just like because I, I don't know. He hasn't attempted a submission attempt inside the UFC. Um, so outside of him not getting a, a finish, uh, a TKO finish, I don't know. We'll see. It could just be like takedowns galore. Zubairo Tukugov breaks the slate, but uh, I'm not going to be getting to Elvis Brenner at all. Yeah, to me, it's just more of that. It's that price tag. And, and kind of yeah. like the conversation we had at the beginning of the show talking about Islam is in terms of that price point, what's that roster construction look like? Um, you know, I'll start, be, I'll be crunching limes here later on today to kind of see what I get to. And I'll be interested in kind of see uh, ultimately, you know, in terms of whether I'm playing at 20 max or, or 150 max of how much uh, of Zabara that I'm going to get into. But Pete, let's, uh, let's get to our straight up fight picks right here. Of course, we're going to get our straight up fight picks. Then we're going to talk about the props over there at Superdraft Prize Picks and Underdog Fantasy. Then we'll answer any questions that we have not gotten to that are in the chat or in Discord. So if you want to leave a question, uh, do that right now. So let's start right off the top of the main event. Uh, I got Tislam Mahachev uh, retaining the UFC lightweight title. Yeah, I don't want it to happen, but I'm going to say Islam. Uh, give me my underdog number one in Josh Emmett. Okay, I'm going to go Yair. I'm I'm ninety nine point nine percent. We're both going to agree on this of Jack Della Maddalena. Yeah, give me Maddalena. You talked me into Parker Porter. I'm gonna go Parker Porter. Underdog number two. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I don't trust him, but give me Parker Porter. Give me underdog number three, Alonzo Menafield. Yeah. Alonzo Menafield for me. Underdog two. I'm hoping this is like Bellator last week and the dogs are come barking because I got some dogs here. Uh, yeah. I, I do like, I, obviously, if you listen, you've been listening to the show, Tyson Pedro uh, is my play here. Yeah, I like Tyson. Um, let's see, I like him in this position against Josh. Yeah, give me Melsic, another slight underdog. I, I will take uh, Rodriguez. Rodriguez? Um, I think we're going to disagree here. Give me the favor in Jamie Malarkey. Okay, I don't hate it. Give me Francisco Prado as my... As another underdog for me. Yeah. I think number three for you. Uh, I'll go uh, Jack Jenkins. Jack Jenkins for me. Luke Boomy. Luke Boomy. Uh, underdog number four for me and, and Blake Builder. Yeah, give me Blake Builder. Is that five for me? I like Builder, Prado, Melsic, Menefield, Porter. Yeah, that's five underdogs for me. So fifth underdog, Blake Builder. Oh, Melsic's a pick and fight. Yeah, it's still slight underdog. Oh, on the, bet, on the on the DK side of things. Yes. On the DK side, yeah. yes, exactly. That's what uh, we're talking about. And then Zubara. Yeah, Zubara. Uh, let's talk about some of these props over at Prize Picks. Uh, underdog, and then uh, those lines over there at Super Draft. Let's start Prize Picks. And uh, so here's the ones I've. And by the way, Prize Picks does got a free square uh, with Patrick Mahomes. So um, if you're playing over Prize Picks, be sure to take advantage of that. Uh, I everything I like on Price Picks is on the preliminary card. I like the more one and a half takedowns on Jamie Malarkey, more two takedowns on Luke Boomy. 
And then I like the under one and a half takedowns on Shen Young. I don't understand why that is, what that is. I would hop on that one right now. Um, also, I like the under 12 and a half uh, fight time minutes on Shane Young. Yeah, so I'm with you that I like the Loma Lupumi more than two takedowns. I like the less for Shane Young in the one and a half takedowns. Um, and I actually think that Zubaira Tugugov more than two and a half takedowns is another one that I, I'm going to be all over. Yeah, now looking over at Underdog Fantasy, uh, some of the ones that stick out to me, I like the uh, more than a half finish for Islam Hachev. I like the more one-half takedowns on Jamie Malarkey, more two takedowns on Luke Boomy, and uh, I like the under 16.5 significant strikes on Shane Young. Yeah, so pretty similar for me. The two plays that I like is the more uh, for Loma Luke Boomy two takedowns and the more... Uh, two and a half takedowns for Zubaira Tukugov. So those are the two lines that, that stick out to me on underdog. Now over at Super Draft, what was interesting about Super Draft when I was there this morning is they had some fighters listed as out. I'm not sure exactly why that is, but they're not out of this fight. Well, unless there's you know some psychic telling you that they're not going to fight, but <laughs> as far as we know right now, they are fighting. Um, in terms of champion, um, I mean, look, it's if you think the main event is going five rounds, why do you not look at either one of those guys? Obviously, I like Mahachev to win. As an underdog champion, I think Josh Him at a 2.2 multiplier I think is pretty interesting. And uh, the other ones I highlight in terms of Super Draft, and, and we just talked about this fight of Young and Builder, I think you got to look at both those sides. Uh, but it's it's probably a, it's, it's a boom-bust play. Yeah, complete boom-bust play. But I think that 2.1 for Builder is, is fine. Luke Boomy and Jenkins there at 1.8. Like, I, I really like those, you know, just because I, I like target fights that are going to be one-way traffic, and that's kind of projecting. That's how I'm projecting those fights to go. Uh, I mentioned a question we got in Discord a little earlier today. Uh, FanDuel MVP suggestion. So, I mean, look, if you if you believe Machev and Volk is going 25 minutes, and you believe that it's just going to be rinse and repeat for Islam Machev. I think it's hard to avoid Islam Machev as a MVP, but look, he is going to be extremely popular. Um, I, I look at you know other MVPs. Uh, I, I think I look at either guy in, in the co-main event in terms of that one. Um, you know. Other MVPs, Tyson Pedro does stick out to me, but kind of concerned, low volume, you know, maybe not build up uh, enough there. Uh, how about Jack Jenkins as a FanDuel MVP? Yeah, I don't hate it. Um, I, I don't hate it at all. I think an interesting way, too, is not so much on FanDuel, I guess, but it's when you can get a cheaper fighter in that spot to help you pay it for other spots. But like FanDuel, I do like getting to a high favorite in like a Jenkins or a Luke Boomy. Um, just to basically have that safe winning score as a part of that top. And then I can get different elsewhere. Um, but as, as if you want to be contrarian, you could always target the pick em fights. So like you could always put that Melsic Bogdasarian in that, in that uh, MVP spot. And I think that would separate yourself a, a, you know, a little bit from the pack. You know who could be a super contrarian MVP? Who? Parker Porter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, also got asked about a safe parlay. It, it was two parts, safe parlay slash less safe parlay. 
So I know you, you uh, love the play year there, obviously in the state that where you can legally wager, wager on the fight. So uh, what are you looking at for parlays this week? I probably look at the under. Um, I look at the under between Builder and Shane Young. Um, I think that Loma Look Boomy is a, slate, a, a safe leg of the parlay. And I would also look at the under for Jamie Malarkey, Francisco Prado. So that would probably be my three-leg parlay, just targeting two unders in addition to Loma Look Boomy. Uh, going through uh, some of the questions in the chat from earlier, Roman saying, usually on a pay-per-view car, you don't get a lot of underdog wins, but I feel like this weekend it's going to be different at least four. Yeah, I have five, so we'll see. I hope I have the five correct ones. That would suck if I have the five <laughs> wrong ones. But, uh, you know, and that's where, like, I, I'm for my DFS lineups where I'm trying to get to, like, see which fights I'm leaning towards the underdog, but also making sure I'm getting to the other side as well. Like, okay, I got to switch this up because I like this fight. This fight seems like it's DFS friendly. All right, we got the usual questions from Sam here. Uh, let's start off with his over-under number, which is eight and a half. Big number, big number. Less, less. He's thinking nine finishes. That's crazy. Yeah, thirteen fights. I mean, I think that Rodriguez. Yeah, is it crazy? I'm saying less. That's just naturally that that finishes. I don't think happen. I mean, like if you start looking down the card and you Close. start saying, okay, fights that you can see going the distance. I don't necessarily see the main event going the distance. I think there's a stoppage at some point on either side of that equation. Rodriguez Emmett, I think, has probably got a good chance to go 25 minutes. Yeah, that's what I think. Uh, Madalena Brown, I think, that's, I think that's either a third-round finish or a decision. Could, yep. Uh, Toffa Porter, I, God, hope that is not a decision because— Could we, be a sloppy heavyweight <laughs> decision. <laughs> yeah, those are not exactly fun fights to watch there. That's that's why I was a little surprised that that got placed on the pay-per-view. Uh, Crew Menafield, I don't— I don't think it's going to this decision. Pedro Bukakis, no. Um, Rodriguez Ross, maybe the next one that kind of sticks out to me as a potential decision. Yep. Malarkey Prado, I think, is is another one to look at. It repeats itself. Loma via decision. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, we we know the statistics when it comes to uh, female matchups. Uh, so Sam's got his other typical questions, so let's get right into those. Top two for cash. Cash. I mean, you got to go Islam Mahachev. Um, top two for cash. Could honestly be stacking the fight, you know, for cash, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's a way to get just so it's so cheap to get the Volkanovski, and as long as he doesn't get washed early, it, it could pay off. You're talking um, about one of the best. He's the pound for pound best fighter yeah. on the planet. It would be remarkable if Mahachev gets him out of there early. I think late's like more likely than early. I'm just thinking about Sam in terms of uh, how I'm building cash lamps. Um, a core would be for me would be Tyson Pedro and, and Luke Boomy. Yeah, I agree with that too. I like those. You know, I mean, I mean, look, you could you could say you know Islam, and, and then I could you know number two I could say Zubara, but then well, you're really hampered at what you could do in terms of building a roster. Uh, top two GPPs. Um, I mean, look, I'm Sam. I'm looking at fights here. The the young builder fight to me is a is a priority in terms of GPPs. And if I was going to say the number two, I'd I look at Minifield and Crute. Yeah, I have three circled builder, young, Malarkey, Prado, 
recruit Menafield. Those seem like the three most uh, slate-changing fights on the entire card. Uh, top two underdogs for me, uh, number one would be Big Builder, and number two would be Alonzo Menafield. I like Alonzo. I like Builder, too. To give you somebody different, I mean, Melsic's a slight underdog. Does he count? No. Uh, I'll say Parker Porter. Yeah. Uh, t- uh, favorite inside the distance, uh, it's a young builder fight for me. Yeah. I mean, favorite inside the distance. Yeah, I, I think that's the best one. Um, best fight to target. Outside of that, man, like there's so many matchups where you can just – I think Jack Della Maddalena has some of the best inside the distance odds and, and how I think the fight's going to go. Um, it's going to be one hell of a performance if he does it, though. That's a tremendous win. Uh, top leverage plays. And, I mean, like, look, I, I look at Bill or Young. I think the ownership should be way higher than West being projected at right now. Um, Luke Boomy would be another one that I think is a leverage play. Um, I, I think you got to be looking in that 9,200 to 8,700 range to find that, you know, in terms of, of how those are being projected in terms of ownership. 100%. 100%. I mean, like Tafas, he's a great leverage play. Um, and, you know, I think that Porter's going to be the the better minute winner. But Tafa has that one-shot Mark Hunt ability where, like, he hits you and then walks away. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah that's an interesting spot. That salary tends to be forgotten a lot, similar to, to Shane Young. That, similar, that salary gets forgotten all the time, too. Optimal and dart plays. It's talking about dark plays. I mean, obviously Volkanovski got though up up there as a dart play. But like, if you're yeah. looking at someone maybe as a dart play, that maybe, um, how about Shannon Ross as a dart throw? Yeah, I mean, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I mean, he's a dog. He's thirteen and six. He's fighting a kid who's seven and two. Um, I think that he's going to be outmatched in several spots. But sometimes cardio wins out, and if he's in better shape. How about this? And I know you may not like this. Okay. How about as a complete decision dart, Modestus Bukowskis? Just a, if there's not, low not, volume, not, Tyson Pedro yeah. doesn't find the finish. I'm not against it. I'm not against it. I just it, it's just in terms of what we've seen from Modestus inside the octagon. I just ha- I have yeah. a lot of concerns about the stand up. Me too. You know, and, and particularly uh, if Tyson Pedro. You know, we always talk about that the black line in the octagon where now, now this one will be the bigger octagon. So it's a 30 footer. So there's a little bit more room, but like when you think about the apex, if you get behind that black line, you're essentially a step and a half away from having your, your back up against the fence. That would be the kind of concern for me uh, with Modestus Pukakis in terms of optimal plays. Um, I mean, look, if Islam Hachev is optimal, that tells me this fight hits the fourth or fifth round. If Islam Hachev's in your lineup, I think the last thing you want is a first round finish. I would agree because it's very hard to pay off that salary yeah. with a first round finish, you know, especially when you have other 9,000 amazing picks. Like some weeks where we're like, I don't, I don't really like the 9,000 options. We got them this week. So um, different combinations are going to win out. I think that the best path for Islam Mahachev to pay off that price tag is getting 10 plus takedowns. Yeah. Uh, uh, any full fade or semi fades? Um, for me personally, it's probably at least read 
just personally, but women's MMA tends to prove me wrong more often than not. I just, when I look at Loma, she looks actually talented. When I look at Elise Reed, she just looks, yeah. she's there. And I think outside the UFC, outside the UFC, she can be fine. But inside the UFC, I think she's going to be matchup dependent, and I don't like this matchup for her. Yeah, I mean, rarely in MMA do I necessarily uncheck someone. You know, when yeah. I'm over a fancy cruncher, Brenner may be someone like, yeah, like when I'm playing NASCAR DFS, I uncheck a lot of guys, you know, the, yeah. those, those pump plays. But in terms of MMA, I usually uh, don't do it. By, by the way, speaking of NASCAR, if you want to check out our guy, Phil, uh, he's got some great stuff that he's doing over uh, in Substack. Uh, be sure to check out that. He's got, um, you know, uh, Phil did give me a, a, a free subscription, so I appreciate it. And uh, his Substack looks absolutely amazing. And he's putting some great content if you're looking for NASCAR DFS coverage over there. Uh, in terms of Phil does, uh, absolutely. I love doing shows with him back in, back in the day. Um, try to get some uh see if there's any other questions here of course be sure to smash that like button uh most confident picks favorite inside distance even money parlay um we've kind of talked about inside distance uh confident picks for me would be uh i would say tyson pedro zubara would be the top two for me yeah i mean confidence picks zubara loma lupumi um then you start getting into like tricky ones where they should win but will they you know uh, but that's probably where i'd say where my confidence i i'm not even going to include islam i think that's just that's a fight to sit back and watch and throw some fun money on some props instead of just pl- paying that money line yeah i mean uh, just kind of looking at somewhat of an even parlay i mean if you want to take three big favorites uh matcha madalena pedro that's plus 142 as a, as a parlay. Yeah, it seems a little... I mean, every now and then there's going to be one big, big favorite that's going to completely spoil that for you. So um, if I if I view their opponents as talented opponents, I try not to get a little too cute in a situation like that, just chasing odds. Um, that's why like, I don't believe in Elise Reed. So Loma Lukbumi is going to be somebody. I don't believe in uh, Elvis Brenner. Zubaira Tukugov is going to be somebody. It's kind of hard for me to say I don't believe in in Alexander Volkanovsky, but styles make fights, um, and that's where I'm just I'm a little bit more selective when it comes to betting, and I'll bet heavier on on sure wins rather than getting a little too cute. If Volkanovsky does pull this off, it's going to be kind of interesting to see you kind of what is the uh, the narrative after this one, especially when we start talking about the you know the, the greatest fighters in our sports history. He goes out there and does that. He is going to be a part of that conversation. Of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in here for our UFC 284 preview. Of course, uh, if you smash that thumbs up button, if uh, this is your first time catching us, you can hit that subscribe, hit that notification bell. Myself and Pete, we're trying to get this over a thousand subscribers so we can uh, monetize this channel. Of course, if you're listening to us on the podcasting platforms, be sure to uh, leave a five-star rating and review. That does help us a lot as well. Pete, anything you want to mention before we get out of here for this week? No, I just want to say thanks for the support, guys. Really appreciate it. Make sure you join the Discord. It's free. And we like to just kind of have a, a nice uh, conversation within the community. Um, you know, each week we keep dropping these videos for you. We appreciate everybody tuning in, hitting that like button for us. And uh, can't wait to see what the future holds. And hopefully this card lives up to uh, to the hype. I hope it's uh, a good card. Um, unfortunately, I can't watch it. But uh, hopefully we can cash in on some of these underdogs and, and win some money.
And you never know. Sometimes I, I like to drop a little nuggets in that in that Discord. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you don't hear anywhere else, you know. So we appreciate everyone tuning in here. That is going to do it for our preview for UFC 284. Appreciate everyone checking out the show. We will talk to you next week right here on Fight HQ.